hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody give him praise. Somebody shout with triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. I know we've already done it, but why don't we step out of our seats, shake somebody's hand. Amen, as the Sunday school is dismissed. Somebody shout glory. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of Exodus chapter 16. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 31. Let's also remember to keep the chins in prayer. They are traveling on vacation this week. Having a good time. Getting that last little bit of summertime. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and fill and put an omer full of manna therein. And lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came into the land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came under the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. The Bible says that to fill up, to keep for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. That they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. And I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject. This doesn't look like a miracle. This doesn't look like a miracle. Would you set down your Bibles? And let's lift up our hands and let's pray all across this house. Come on, somebody pray. Somebody shout. God, touch us here today. Hallelujah. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. I'm asking, God, that you would take this word, that you would bless us with it, us here today. God, help us to receive this word, to apply it to our lives, Jesus. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. Hallelujah. We give you worship here today in Jesus' wonderful name. Somebody clap your hands one more time unto the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This doesn't look like a miracle. Before we can get to Israel in the wilderness, we have to have an understanding of what got them there. Israel was kept in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. They were slaves. They were underneath the taskmaster. They were continually whipped and beaten. This is, this is just how slavery goes. They were told when to get up, when to go to bed. They were told how to build, what to build, when to build it. This is the life of a slave. But I want you to notice that what brought them into Egypt was the fact that there was a famine outside of the land, out in, outside of Egypt. And for an appetite, and when they got hungry, they ended up in Egypt because the Bible says that there was corn in Egypt. And it was their hunger, it was their appetite that led them straight into slavery. Now, they didn't think that that was what was going to happen. And, and nobody ever expects that it would be just one bite. It would just be one morsel, just one meal that would lead to a lifetime of bondage. But can I preach you here today that what you have an appetite for will eventually control you. If you allow yourself to get hungry for the wrong things, amen, and, and if you will fill yourself with the wrong things, it will not end well. It will not end in freedom. It always ends in bondage. Amen. We've got a world out there that is hungry. They don't know what they're hungry for or why they're hungry, but they are looking to fill themselves up at every bar, looking to fill themselves up, amen, at, at every turn they can with every empty relationship, trying their best because that is all man can do. But it has led them straight into a path and a lifestyle of bondage, slavery, so it was for an appetite that they were entering into Egypt. And God has made it to where he is coming now to send forth a deliverer. Because often we get ourselves into a mess, but it is God that gets us out of the mess. Can anybody attest to that? It was, it, don't blame anybody else. It wasn't your spouse. I know you want it. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't your mom and dad. At the end of it all, it was right here. The problem, and it all started right here. I'll take responsibility that, that every bit of bondage, it might have came as a result of somebody else's choices, but ultimately it came because I decided as well. Amen. And so they are, they are there, but God is sending them a deliverer. God is sending them somebody that's going to get them out of the mess that their hunger put them in. And, and, and Moses shows up to Egypt. And the Bible lets us know that he performs, amen, with the hand of, and the help of God, ten plagues. We don't have time to get into the, all those here today, but suffice it to say, there were plagues where he turned water into blood. He brought lice out of the dust. There was locusts that came and, and ate up all of the crops. There was darkness over all of the land. There were frogs everywhere, and this was, this was God's way of doing one of two things. Number one, what God was doing is God was showing, 
amen, to Israel and to Egypt that there is only one God. Amen. Let me tell you, God has got something to prove to this world that thinks that they can, they can just worship whatever they want or however they want. Amen. They, they, can, they can deify this person, that rock star or this rap star or this sports star, and, and they think that, that this is what my God is. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, not one of those people can heal you. Not one of those people can deliver you. They might put out a song you like, but I want you to know that when you are sick and you are in a hospital, they cannot heal you, they cannot deliver you, and God will prove the point. I'm the only God. I'm the only deliverer. I'm the only way maker. Can I preach to somebody that's in a one God church here today? You can't get your deliverance from anybody but Jesus. Oh, somebody praise him. God was proving there's only one God, and I will have no other gods before me. I will afflict the very waters that they worship. They say that this water, amen, is a God. I will, I will put blood in that water and, and let them know, amen, that I have killed your God. They worship the sun, and so God would bring forth darkness over the land, amen, several times through several plagues to let them know that I am the God. I am the only light that you need. You don't need the sun, God. Amen. I will cover and I will block that, amen, because I am the only one. God was proving that to Egypt, but I want you to know God was also proving that to Israel. Because they've been in there 430 years. They had been given over to paganism. They've been given over to everything in the world. Everything in Egypt started following and obeying. you got to be careful. When we get hungry, we end up in places that we shouldn't be. And then we start adapting and acquiring certain, amen, habits that we should never have. We'll start worshiping things we were never intended to worship. We'll start going places we should have never gone. Why? Because we've just been spending enough time. That's exactly what happened to Eve. All she did was spend a little too much time at that tree. And what was once told to her, this will kill you. All of a sudden now, the Bible says she saw it as a, as a tree to be desired to make one wise. And that it was good for food. Amen. I, if I told you that this was poison... And then all of a sudden you hung out with it long enough. It wouldn't turn into something nice and savory. But you spend time with the devil that lies in your ears. All of a sudden the very things that you know aren't right will start looking a little more appetizing. And so God is proving to them that there is only one God. But the second thing that God is doing is God is trying to show Israel I'm not just going to destroy their ideologies of religiosity and their deities but I want to show to my people, the Bible says God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God wasn't weak-handed and limp-wristed when he brought them out. God was bringing them out with a mighty outstretched hand. God was letting them know, I'm going to bring you out with mighty, powerful miracles. He wanted them to always remember and through the generations talk about every miracle that God had done in their lives. It was God that brought that plague. And Grandma would start to talk to grandson and tell him, oh, I remember the plague of frogs. And, and, and proceed to let them know about all of the different things that were going on and all the mighty miracles that God did. They were visible miracles. They were powerful miracles. And, and then maybe she would get to the point where she says, well, let me tell you about one more miracle that God did 
on our way out of Egypt. We found ourselves at the Red Sea. We we were stuck. We couldn't go left and we couldn't go right. We couldn't we couldn't go forward because there was nothing but water and we would drown. And, and we certainly couldn't go backwards because if we went backwards, we would end up back in Egypt. We would end up slaves or we would end up dead. And, and the grandson probably looked up at his grandma and said, well, Grandma, you're, you're here and you're not in Egypt. What happened? Let me tell you about the miracle working power of God. There was a man of God by the name of Moses that God told him, you stretch out your hand over those waters, over the impossibility. And when he did it, the waters parted. Does anybody remember the day that God saved you? I want to tell you, when God parted those waters, when God saved you, when God baptized you, it was a miracle. It wasn't just getting dunked in a tank in a horse trough in Carson City. No, it was a miracle. God was parting waters. God was dividing. Somebody praise him. And God wanted to be known, but that miracle didn't stop with the waters parting. They crossed over, and, and as the enemy entered in, can I just preach a little theology for somebody? Uh, when you get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, amen, not only uh, is it for the remission of your sins, uh, not only does God wash your past away, uh, but there were some things that tried to follow them uh, all the way into the wilderness and follow them all the way to the promised land. Uh, but God didn't want the enemies of their past to follow them. Uh, he didn't want addictions and compulsions following them. Uh, when they got on the other side uh, and they were safe, uh, amen, after going through the water, uh, those enemies followed through. Uh, the chariots followed through. Uh, and my Bible tells me uh, that God bent the wheels of the chariots. Can I tell you about what God does to the enemies that chase down your family? That Come on, that have been following your family through, come on, your grandpa and all the way to your dad. When you go through the watery grave and they try to follow you through, your daddy was an alcoholic, so you got to be an alcoholic. Your grandma was on drugs, so you got to be on drugs. When that gets in that water and you come up out of that grave, your sins are washed away. But God buries all of your enemies under the wall. Oh, somebody praise him. I don't know about you, but I came to shout a little bit about what God did for me. When you get baptized, it's not just trying to get you into heaven, honey. It's absolutely triumphing over the devil. It is shouting in the face of everything you've been facing. Oh, somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Come on. Do you remember the day everything you were facing got buried? Everything that was following you got buried. It was a miracle. It was right there that they were able to see the outstretched hand of Moses and God backing that outstretched hand. And they watched as every last one of those taskmasters and slave masters and every addiction and compulsion buried under that water and they saw chariot wheels begin to float down the river it was a miracle but now they are in the wilderness and it's a little bit different no longer are they being forced to get up at a certain time because of the taskmaster they have they have something that's new to this slave culture 
And that's something known as freedom. But can I help teach somebody here today that you've got to learn how to live in freedom? There are some responsibilities to living in freedom. You know, when they were there, slaves in Egypt, they got their food provided for them in Egypt. When they were there in Egypt, they had their housing provided for them in Egypt. If you want to be a, if you want to be a slave, if you want to be a bond servant, uh, everything will be provided for you, but the cost will be your freedom. But if you want to live free, there's going to be some responsibilities that come upon your life. All of a sudden, you can't have and wait around for somebody else to provide something for you. You can't wait for housing to show up. You oh, hallelujah. You know, they say that most people that go to prison, they often reoffend within a few years. They've been in for an extended period of time. Because what happens is they get used to three square meals a day. They get used to the to, they get used to the man telling them when to come in and when to go out. You know, they get used to certain routines. But all of a sudden there becomes, amen, a moment where they get free, but they don't know how to handle their freedom. Oh, hallelujah. And that's how some Christians are. They come into church. They get baptized. They get the Holy Ghost. But they don't know what it is to, to live a life. What do I do after being addicted to cigarettes? What do I do after living a certain lifestyle? How, how do I operate? How do I live? Let me preach to you what God told them. God had two requirements for them to live and to stay free. Number one, every time that you saw that cloud that was in the day or that pillar of fire in the night moving you got to pack up your tent and you got to follow the cloud and you got to follow the fire can I preach to somebody that when you, if you want to stay free amen every time God's spirit is moving you can't sit by and be idle you can't wait for your favorite song or the 15th time that they sang that verse, honey. The moment that you see it, you got to move with it or it will leave you behind. Come on, am I an apostolic church here this afternoon? We're in a church that believes that God's spirit moves. We're in The Bible says that if we don't have the spirit of, of Christ, we are none of his. If we walk in the spirit, the Bible says, we should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know why people keep falling back into flesh? You know why they built a, 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 a golden calf? Because they stopped moving with God. God started moving up the mountain, and the only one that went up the mountain was Moses. <laughs> Can I help somebody? You can't wait for just one person to go up that mountain. Amen. They, they only saw the cloud. Amen. It moved horizontal. And they were used to the fire moving horizontal and the cloud moving horizontal. But the moment it moved vertical, they said, no, we'll stay right down here where it's comfortable. Church, if you want to stay free from idolatry, if you want to stay free from sin, you got to move where the cloud moves. you got to go up a little higher. Somebody... Come on, we've got to get to that place that says wherever God's moving, I'm going with him. Whenever God's moving, I'm moving with him. It was a visible miracle. No one could deny this pillar of fire at night. You know why? They could feel it. It gave them warmth and it gave them light. They could see it. That that. 
that cloud during the day. It would cool them off in that desert heat. They could feel and they felt refreshed. Can I preach a little more theology? What that's a typology of. Being born of the water and of the Spirit. Being baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Can I tell you that when you want to stay free, you got to make sure you keep that Holy Ghost. But honey, you got to keep that fire going. You you got to keep that passion burning and say, Lord, I'll go with you. They had to follow that cloud and that fire. They had to walk in the Spirit. They had to live in the Spirit. They had to get beyond the carnal mind and the carnal man. That was one requirement, moving in the Spirit. There was another requirement God had for them. One that, requ- that one that would determine their survival or not. They had to eat manna every single day. Deuteronomy 8 and 3 puts it this way. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, get this, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might Make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. God was letting them know that that hunger you've been feeling, amen, it was not a punishment. It was not a curse. But that hunger, that came from me. I was the God that caused you, amen, to get hungry because part of freedom is God allows you to get empty. Why? Because it's that same God that is trying to teach a lesson that nothing else in this world can satisfy. Nothing else can fill you. Nothing else can satiate and satisfy you. But God was letting them know, I was the one that gave you that hunger. But that hunger did not stay there because I also gave you provision. I fed you with manna and you didn't even know it. Oh, somebody praise him. They didn't even recognize the miracle in front of them. He was feeding them with manna every single day. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Come on, somebody pray for just a moment. They didn't even know it. They didn't even recognize it. Amen. It didn't, it didn't seem like a miracle. It didn't look like a miracle. It was the blessing of God. But let me tell you here today, Deuteronomy 8 and 16 would continue on and say this. Who fed thee with, in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, again, they didn't know what was going on, that he might humble thee. Now get this, ready? And that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. God provided them with all the provision that they would need to fulfill their hunger. But that blessing, that that provision, that miracle, I want to tell you about it for just a moment. 
that miracle was a test from God. He said, I gave it to you not just to satiate you, not just to fill you, but I gave you that manna in the wilderness that I might test you, that I might prove you, because I've got something better for you. Every miracle of God, every blessing of God is because God's got something better. And how we handle the manna determines whether we get a better ladder end. Oh, somebody praise him. Somebody shout, I want to pass the test. Somebody shout, I want to pass the test. But let me explain, because this will make a whole lot more sense here in a moment. How did they not know that the manna was from God? How did they not know that it was the Lord that was feeding them? I often thought that they just got tired of it. It got boring. And we do see some scriptural evidence that they wanted some quail. They wanted a nice quail burger. I don't want a quail burger. Please don't give me any quail if you raise them. Amen. God bless you. But they, they, there's a lot of people that would say they just, they just wanted... They just wanted something different, and they got bored. And that could be. But there is something being presented here. They didn't know that this test was from God. They didn't know that God was trying to prove them. And they did not know that this manna was coming from the Lord. The Bible says this about the manna. And this is where I, I, I had to take a moment and really just look at this and and think it over because when I think of manna in all my years of living for God I think of those nice rolls at Texas Roadhouse there's that cinnamon butter I'm going to make somebody hungry hey I finally got an amen hallelujah talk about food somebody will shout I just think about those just delectable rolls that they give you at every little restaurant that nice loaf of bread come on I know I'm not the only one that thought that there was some there was some donuts just dropped down from heaven and and the angels were, they were working for Krispy Kreme. And God was glazing them on the way down. Amen. I, I, hot and ready. Not like, like pizza. Amen. <laughs> they, were, they were there. And I just thought, oh, man, they just walked out their front door, uh, made themselves a cup of coffee, and they grabbed up a little loaf and just started munching down on it. Come on, I know all y'all thought that. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that it was like coriander seed. And the taste was like wafers made with honey. There's some that say, well, no, it was a wafer, and it was round, and it was this big. Mm -mm -mm. The taste was like a wafer made with honey. But the Bible says that it was the shape of it, the likeness of it, the image of it was like coriander seed. Can you see that? Probably not. That's a coriander seed. And when they stepped out of their tent in the morning, this will make a whole lot more sense why they tried to gather it for multiple days. Because how much of this does it take to make a loaf of bread to feed one person? <laughs> how much of this does it take to begin and to be able to feed a family of four, a family of five, a family of eight? You know they had a lot of kids back then. This was not your Dunkin' Donuts. This was coriander seed. 
And the Bible says that they had to go. It was like dew on the ground, little drops of dew. And they had to come out every morning and gather. And there were some that got so tired because I want to tell you about miracles for just a moment. Uh, miracles take work. Can I, can I preach that for just a moment? Miracles take work. Miracles take effort. God doesn't do everything. Sometimes he lets you put a little work in. Sometimes God lets you put a little faith in. Sometimes God lets you put some feet to your faith. He lets you get out of your tent every morning and begin to operate in faith. Can I tell you, hard work is faith too. God does not promote laziness. Oh, hallelujah, just got somebody. God God does not promote laziness. He didn't want them to go from doing servile work every day to going and being this lazy group. He's saying this is a test. If you can handle the manna, you can handle the fields. If you can handle the manna, you can handle your own crops. If you can handle the manna, you can handle your own business. If you can handle the manna, you can handle your own ministry. If you can handle somebody, shout. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. Let's say it all across the building. Somebody shout. Oh, somebody shout. If you can handle the manna, you can handle a lot more. I feel like shouting. I feel like shouting. Because there's some folks, you handle the manna properly. It didn't look like a miracle. It didn't look like provision. But you handled it right. And now he's about to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. This little coriander seed type manna. I had to get out every day. You know what he was saying? I got you manna. You know why? That I might prove you. But also that you might know that man does not live by bread only. Change your walk with God right here. But by a word from God. That real good preacher that comes by. But by every word of. You ready to change your walk even further? Oh, I feel him. Somebody just shout. Somebody just shout on this Sunday afternoon. Jesus put it this way, give us this day our daily bread. And God shows up with some manna. You're looking for a word, but he's about to give you every word. You're looking for that one altar call that just wrecks your world and changes your life. But God's saying, uh, miracles aren't always in the altar call. They're in the altar calls. Miracles aren't always in the prayer meeting. They're in the prayer meetings. They're not in the Bible study. They're in the Bible studies. It's not just one. you got to gather it together. Oh, 
on, somebody shout. May help somebody. Hold out your hand. Hold it upright. There we go. There we go. Does that look like a miracle? Nope. <laughs> Wrong answer. All right, you ready? Does that look like a miracle? How about that? Uh, whoever's cleaning the church, I'm sorry. We're going to need a good vacuum. Does that look like a miracle? Oh, he had to get two hands. See, David put it this way, my cup runneth over. See, sometimes you've got to get ready. Come on. Does that look like a miracle? How much does it take until you can see the miracle? How many services will it take until you believe that God's providing? How many altar calls? Can I help you? How much manna does it take to make a loaf of bread? I got an answer. I don't know. But I do know God will provide and provide and provide but it's my job to get somebody shout you don't know what service is going to be the last service until your miracle shows up in bread form somebody step out of your pew you don't know what shout is going to be the next shout where God heals your body. We're going to shout for a little while. But I can tell you this. I have, I can tell you about that one service that changed my life. Everybody's got that one service. Oh, I remember. I remember the pillar of fire at night. Come on. Oh, man, that was a powerful service. And that's right. I remember when he parted the waters. I remember when he put blood in the Red Sea. I remember. But often we forget the miracles take place Sunday, Wednesday. Sunday, Wednesday. Sun and when you look at just one, Brother Jonathan, doesn't look like a whole lot. I wish I could tell you it was that one altar call that saved my soul. But it was my pastor getting up every week and preaching the same old manna from heaven. And when I look back, it was that that created a ministry. It was that that created a soul winner. It was that that created a miracle. So I don't know which service it's going to be where it finally clicks for some folks. And it finally culminates. And they can finally taste it. And they can finally see it. And they can finally smell it in their oven. I don't have the answer for that. But I do know. You've got to keep gathering them together. 
until you fully see the miracle that God was making. Because miracles are not always in the moment. They're in the moments. Miracles are not always in the immediate. They're in the incremental. Would you come down to the front and lift up your hands? Somebody pray. You just got to keep gathering those prayers together. You just got to keep on gathering that worship together. Now's not the time to quit. Now's not the time to throw in the towel. Because I'm telling you, God is going to bring about a miracle. It may not look like it today. But when you look back on your life, you'll see that every word, every word, every word was sustaining you. Every word was blessing you. Every word was preparing you. Every word. Somebody shout. Somebody shout. This could be your moment. This could be your moment. Until the victory is won. Every word, every worship, every dance, every shout, gather it together. Let God make something out of it. Don't wait till the 
as if this word it's starting to crack. You're starting to see it. It didn't look like much, 